a privilege to be able to share with you the last message in our Advent series. And you know, for those of you who've been here, we've been going through John chapter 1, and today we'll be looking at verses 14 through 18. So if you have your Bibles or your devices with you, if you could turn to John 1, uh, 14 through 18. As we've been going through this series, you know, we began with Ben looking at just kind of the amazing claims that are made about Jesus in this gospel. And then last week, Curtis looked at Jesus as the good shepherd. And this week, we're going to be wrapping up the um, series in verses 14 through 18. And there's a lot in these verses. Uh, you know, probably could do three or four sermons on these, but Ben told me I could only do one. So I have to kind of pick and choose what I'm going to talk about. So I wanted to focus today really on the reason that Jesus came. And as we read through this, you know, I, I want us to see that, that Jesus came to us so that we could know him. So let's read um, now. I'll read for us. If you read along with me, um, John 1, verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came and that you dwelt among us. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we would know your presence with us and that you would speak to our hearts today. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, I, I love Christmas. It's far and away my, my very favorite holiday. Um, I love the lights. I love, of course, that it's the birth of Jesus. But I love all the trappings around it, too. I love Christmas trees. I love cookies. Maybe that's what I love most of all is the cookies. I love, you know, gifts, giving gifts, getting gifts, just all the fun things. There's so many fun traditions around Christmas. It's, it's my favorite holiday by far. So kids, what are some of your favorite things about Christmas? What do you guys like most? Yeah. Um, decorating the Christmas tree and cookies. Decorating the Christmas tree and cookies. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. What do you like? Giving gifts, getting gifts, and the cookies. Yes. Yes. What do you like? Yeah. You guys are lining up with me really well. I think we could get along really well. Yes. Making a gingerbread house and getting presents. And do you eat the gingerbread house? No. Oh. Oh. Yes. Spending time with people I love. Spending time, wow. Spending time with people I love. That's nice. Somebody in the back had their hand up. 
A long time. Yes, what do you like? Decorating the tree and cookies. Yeah, Travis. Celebrating the birth of Jesus. Excellent. Yeah, what do you like? The presents in Santa Claus. There are so many things to like about Christmas, right? I love it. As a matter of fact, I think the, the earliest memory I have in my life is around Christmas. Now, we had a tradition of um, what we would do on Christmas Eve is we would go to our church's Christmas Eve candlelight service, and it was just a beautiful time. We would close with Silent Night while everybody held candles and the lights in the church were out, and it was just beautiful. But then we wouldn't go home directly after that. We would go drive around the city looking at all the decorations and just seeing the Christmas lights everywhere. Then we would go back, and we'd have some cookies and hot chocolate, and my mom made the best hot chocolate in the world, and we'd just have a great time. But then you know, my parents would say, well, you know, Santa's not going to come until you go to sleep, so you guys need to get ready for bed. And this one Christmas in particular, I don't know, I was probably around five or six years old, um, I went to bed, and I was like, I got to get to sleep, because Santa won't come if I don't get to sleep. I lay there, and I tossed and turned, and I finally fell asleep. And I, I don't know how long I was out. I don't know if it was a couple hours, three hours. I have no idea what time it was. But I woke up, and I really had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I can't get up, because if Santa thinks I'm awake, he won't come. But I really had to go to the bathroom. And I don't know if you kids have ever been at a time where you really had to go to the bathroom, like if you're on a long trip or something, and you're like, Dad, are we there yet? Or can we pull over? I've got to go to the bathroom. I felt like that. But the bathroom was only 10 feet away. It was like, but I can't get up because Sam won't come. But finally, I don't know how long. It felt like 10 hours, but it's probably only 10 seconds. I was laying there. I was like, okay, I'm going to just lay here quietly and listen. If I don't hear anything, I'm going to run across the hallway, go to the bathroom, and run back into my bed. And so I laid there. I listened. I didn't hear anything. Lay there a little bit longer. I listened. I didn't hear anything. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I go up, tiptoeing up to my door of my bedroom, and I open it, and out of the corner of my eye, down the hallway, I see a light on and a shadow moving. I slam the door shut, and I run the fastest I've ever run in my life back into my bed, pull the covers over my head and lay there and think, oh no, I'm not going to get any presents this year because Santa saw me. And so I laid there, I don't know how long it was, and I forgot all about having to go to the bathroom <laughs> because I thought I wasn't getting Christmas gifts that summer. You know, the fact that the coming of Santa had totally changed how I perceived everything going on and how I felt about everything. And I just laid there thinking, no, no, I blew it. I'm not going to get presents this year. The fact that Santa had come just totally changed my perspective on everything. And, you know, with the coming of Jesus at Christmas, it should totally change our perspective as well on everything. And, you know, as much as I love all the good things about cookies and presents and Christmas trees and Christmas lights, you know, the coming of Jesus is the most important thing about Christmas. And Jesus came so that we could know him. That's why he came. He wants us to know him. And in this verses we're going to look at today, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to know his glory. He wants us to know his grace. 
and he wants us to know his presence with us. So first, I want us to take a look at the fact that Jesus wants us to know his glory. He came so we could know his glory. In verse 14, John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. So what does this mean exactly, the word glory? What is God's glory? We use this word a lot probably in the church. We heard it a lot. But sometimes it may just become a religious term that we just use and we don't really stop to think about what it means. So I want to ask you guys today, kids and adults both, chip in here. This is not a rhetorical question. What do you think the word glory means? Yeah, what do you think it means? Eternal praise. Eternal praise. Very good. What in power? I didn't hear the... Bigness, bigness and power. <laughs> bigness and power. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else have a thought on when you hear the word glory? What do you think it means? Yeah. What's that? Could you speak up a little? To be praised. Yeah, very good. That's good. Yeah. Holiness. All right. Those are all great answers. You know, I, to be honest, I wasn't sure either. I was like, huh. I use that word a lot, and I'm not sure what it means. So I looked up a definition of it. Um, and one definition I found that has a lot of big words in it, so I don't know if it helps that much. It says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. So as I looked through Scripture, I tried to look through other passages and f- figure out what does glory mean? And I kind of came out with three things that particularly stood out to me. One is the goodness of God. Um, in Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, you guys are, might be familiar with this story, kids. Do you remember uh, when Moses was up on the mountain with God and he was given the Ten Commandments? Well, part of the time he is up there, Moses said to God, now show me your glory. And you know what God said to Moses? He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So there's a sense in which God's glory means his goodness, right? But there's also another aspect of it. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 2, the psalmist says this, um, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. So there's an aspect of God's beauty connected to glory, that his shining forth From the city of Zion, there's a beauty connected. So God's beauty has to do with his glory. And then another aspect of God's glory, according to scripture, is his power. You know, just a little bit past John 1 and John 2, um, probably you guys all know this story, when Jesus changes water into wine, right? That's a very familiar story. And at the end of the story, when Uh, John says this about that miracle that Jesus did. He said this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So there are many aspects of God's glory, but you know, what really stood out to me was just seeing the goodness of God the beauty of God, and the power of God. These, these are just some of the characteristics, though, that 
are part of God's glory. And he wants us to know his glory. That's why Jesus came to show us, to make known to us the glory of God. You know, some of us may, some of you may know that um, before we moved to Fort Worth in March of last year, which right as a pandemic started, which is not a good time to move, but we moved uh, from Perth, Australia to Fort Worth in March last year, and we were able to spend about two years in Perth. And Perth, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the geography of Australia. Perth is on the west coast. It's the only major city on the west coast of Australia. All the other city, big cities are on the east coast of Australia. But if you ever get a chance to go to Australia, I would highly recommend that you make sure you get over to the west coast because Perth, we think, is much more beautiful than Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne or any of those other cities. One of the great things about Perth is that because it's on the west coast, you can see the sunset over the Indian Ocean. And so every night, we, we were blessed to live less than half a mile away from the Indian Ocean, and every night we could see the sun setting over the Indian Ocean. And I tell you that these pictures do it no service at all. You, it doesn't justify how, how beautiful and amazing. I cannot tell you in words just how glorious the sunset was, but in over two years, we would try to get up onto the balcony of our house every night to look out and see the sunset because it was so beautiful. And in over almost two years, I don't know if it ever looked the same twice. You know, sometimes you would just, there would be clouds and there would be rays of light bursting through them. Sometimes there'd be no clouds, it'd just be the sun. Sometimes we'd get to catch the moon rising and see that. It was just gorgeous and glorious and beautiful. You know, a lot of times we would sit out on our balcony, have dinner sitting on our balcony just so we could enjoy the beauty of the sunset. And you know, we know that, you know, Scripture talks about God's creation reflecting His glory. And just to see the, that beauty, I mean, sometimes I would walk out on the balcony and it would literally take my breath away. I'd, I'd gasp because it would just be so amazing to see the beauty of God's creation. So I just wonder, uh, in our lives, has the beauty of Jesus ever taken our breaths away? Have we ever been so astounded and amazed at his beauty and his glory and his goodness that we just want to make sure that we get to see it every day? Like we would go up, try to plan our days sometimes around making sure we'd get up and get outside and see the sunset. Do you... Uh, want to see God's glory. Like Moses, he said, show me your glory. He wanted to see God's glory. Do you ask God to show you his glory? Have you experienced his power in such a way that you truly believe that he is a glorious God? Jesus came so that we could know his glory. He wants us to long for him like Moses did. He wants us to ask, like Moses did, that we could know him better. Jesus came so that we could know the glory of God. He also came so that we could know the grace of God. Look with me again in verse 14, just the second half of it. It says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. And then also in verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Other translations say one blessing after another. There's one translation that says um, grace that replaces grace already given. I'm not sure what the Greek words are there, but it seems like the, there's just so much grace that in here in these verses that, that it's hard to translate into English even what's being said. But Jesus came that we would know grace upon grace, verse 16 says. And then verse 17 says, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that John kind of juxtaposes Moses and Jesus here, and he juxtaposes the law with truth and grace. And I'm focusing more on grace. Again, I, as I mentioned earlier, it's impossible to talk about everything that's in this passage. So what all this means about Jesus being truth um, could probably be another whole sermon. But there's a juxtaposition here between law and grace. So I want to ask us, you know, just as we think about that now, you know, what is our view of the law? What, what do you guys think the purpose of the law is? Again, not a rhetorical question. So adults, you can chime in here. The kids are answering questions a lot better than you so far. Yeah. To keep us safe. To keep us safe. Okay, the law is to keep us safe. Teach us how to live in community with each other. Matt, were you going to say something? To reveal our holiness. Yeah, so to reveal our separation from God because of his unholiness, his holiness and our unholiness. Strike that, reverse it, to quote Willy Wonka. Um, so just to make sure, it's to reveal God's holiness and how we're separated because of our unholiness. So, yeah, I, I like you know that a lot. I think you know that's one of the, the main purposes of the law and in a lot of ways, Perhaps the main purpose really is Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And then in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Now, I think a lot of us have this idea in our mind, um, probably like the Nepali people, that we need to live a good life and that there, the law is given to us kind of as a guideline. It's like, well, how do I live to be a good person? How can I be a good follower of Jesus? So these are the things I need to do to be a good follower of Jesus. Now, some of us may not say we believe that. We may say we really believe in grace. But I think the way we live our lives often reflects that deep down, we kind of feel like the law is there to show us how to live our lives. But... I believe what scripture teaches us is that we cannot fulfill the law at all. The law was not given to give us guidelines on how to live. The, go- the law was given to show us just like a mirror to show us that we need a savior and we need the grace of God. So John is saying here, the law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus. There's grace upon grace in Jesus. So Jesus wants us to know that he came, he was born, so we would know his grace. So when we celebrate Christmas, we should be celebrating grace. I mentioned to you earlier how much I love Christmas. 
you know, cookies, the trees, the lights, the presents. I also love the movies and TV shows that are associated with Christmas. So, you know, I love It's a Wonderful Life. There's a debate in our household if Die Hard's a Christmas movie or not. You know, I lean towards, yes, it's a Christmas movie. Everybody else in the household says no. But, I, you know, I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. What about you kids? What are some of your favorite Christmas movies or TV shows? Yes. Elf, yes. I love that. Home Alone, yeah. What else? Anybody have different ones? Yes. Yes, Home Alone, Elf, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, what? Oh, yeah, nice, Polar Express. Any, yes, Home Alone 2, very good. Yeah, what's yours? Home Alone 1, yeah, what's yours? Which one? Oh, nice, yeah. What about you? Elf, Polar, Elf, Polar Express, and Home Alone? Yes. Right, nice. Yeah, I like the cartoon Grinch better, too. Very good. Well, you know, there's, those are a lot of great choices. I love all those movies and TV shows. But do you, have you guys ever seen the one that's ba- it's based on a song, which I guess Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is, too, come to think of it. But Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Do you guys know that song and that TV show? So who knows? Like, it says, you better watch out. You better not pout. Santa Claus is... Right, very good. So, he's making a list. He's going to find out. Santa Claus is. He sees you when you're. He knows when you're. He knows if you've been. So be good. For goodness sake, right. Yeah, very good, you guys. All right, let's give them a round of applause. They did really well. Good job. So, you know, sometimes I think a lot of us think Jesus is like Santa Claus, that he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to see if you've been naughty or nice, are you obeying all the rules, are you being a good child, and he's going to give you good things only if you've been really good yourself. Because Santa Claus is coming, but only he's only going to come if you're good, right? Like me, that's what I thought when I was a little boy. If I'm not asleep, he's not going to come. I've got to do certain things or Santa won't come, right? But I think a lot of us, we wouldn't say we believe that, but we live our lives as if Jesus is only going to come. Jesus is only going to bless us. Jesus is only going to love us if we're nice and not naughty. But Jesus is not that way at all. Jesus came with grace upon grace. Jesus is not making a list and checking it twice. He's not looking to see if you're naughty or nice and that he'll only draw near to you if you're really, really good. Jesus says, no, I am coming to you with grace upon grace. I I did not come to judge the world, to condemn the world. I came with grace to forgive you so that you can know God. Now, once you know God, out of that identity and being a child of God, he wants us to love others because we've been loved. But Jesus, thankfully, is not like Santa Claus. 
He doesn't wait and see if you're naughty or nice to see if you're sleeping at the right time and wait to come. No, Jesus came to bring grace so that we could know him. So I just want you to think about, I know most of you adults probably have the right doctrinal belief uh, in your mind about that, that you really believe in your mind that Jesus comes with grace and that he doesn't keep a naughty or nice list. But deep in your heart, do you ever kind of feel condemned? Do you think that maybe God is not pleased with you and wonder and feel like you're judged for your sins? The good news of Christmas is that Jesus is not like that. And Jesus wants you to be free from that guilt. He wants you to be free from that shame. That's why he came. That's why he died and rose again, so that you could live a life free from that expectation, free from thinking that Jesus is like Santa Claus and he's keeping a list of all the bad things you're doing. Jesus didn't do that. He nailed all those bad things on the cross so you could be free, so that you could free to forgive others, that you could be so filled with his grace, so filled with love because you've been loved, so forgiving because you've been forgiven, that his grace would fill you and overflow to others. Jesus doesn't want you to think that he's making a list and keeping track of every bad thing you do, and then he'll come only if you're good. He came first and wants you to know his grace. He also wants us to know his presence with us. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. If God had previously made his dwelling among his people in other ways, when the Israelites wandered through the desert, do you guys remember, kids, how did God uh, show his presence to the people of Israel while they're wandering through the desert? Who remembers how, that, how God showed himself? Yeah. Exactly. So with the cloud during the day to keep them cool from the sunshine and with a pillar of fire at night to keep them warm and to light. But it's kind of like everybody couldn't really be close. Like to a pillar of fire, you're not going to get real close to a pillar of fire, right? So his presence was there, but kind of far away too. Um, But then um, he met with Moses in the tent of meeting, but it was only Moses who could go in and to the tent of meeting and meet with God while they were wandering through the desert. Then later, um, he had a temple where his presence dwelt. And do you guys remember, kids, do you remember who could go into the temple? Does anybody know who could go into the temple? Priests? Yeah, just the high priest and only once a year. So one time a year, only one person in all of Israel could go into God's presence. All right, so... There's, in the Old Testament, God dwelt with his people, but it, it, it was kind of distant at times. There was this under special circumstances, only one person could see him once a year sometimes. And then there was like a, a you know, this, there was 400 years of silence where God didn't speak. And the people were longing for the Messiah to come. They, there was this promise in the Old Testament of Emmanuel, which, do you guys know what that word means, Emmanuel. God with us. That's right. There's a promise of God being with us. 
Because God had shown himself. He'd drawn near at times. But he wasn't with us all the time, always in the same way. But Jesus came as Emmanuel. He dwelt among us. And then, do you, guys, you kids remember what Jesus, when he left, he said it was good for him to leave because why? Does anybody remember why it was good for Jesus to leave? The disciples didn't want him to leave. But he said, it's good if I leave. Do you remember why it was good? Which doesn't seem to make sense. You'd want to be with Jesus, right? You'd want to dwell close to Jesus. He'd come, he's dwelling with them. Finally, they've been waiting. Here is Emmanuel with them. Finally, God was close, but he said, it's better for you if I leave to his disciples. Okay, any adults remember? Why Jesus said it was better if he left? He would send a helper. That's right. He said, it's better because you're going to have a, we'll send the spirit who will dwell in you. And God would always be with us all the time. Not just a distant pillar of cloud, not just a distant fire that you couldn't get close to without being burned up, not just Moses getting to be near God and seeing his glory, not just the high priest one day a year getting to be in the presence of God, but God would dwell in us as a spirit. And that is amazing. It's the promise of the spirit that if you believe in Jesus, that the Spirit comes and lives in you so that we can always have the presence of God with us. And that's why Jesus came, so that we could have God with us all the time. You know, Moses was one of the people in the Old Testament who got to be in the presence of God, maybe more than anybody else. But it's really interesting, if you know the story of Moses, that initially, in Moses' life, the presence of God wasn't enough for him. Maybe you're familiar with the story in uh, Exodus chapters 3 and 4, when God says, I'm going to send you to free my people from slavery in Egypt. And do you guys remember what uh, Moses said to God? He said, uh, I'm not really that good at talking. Maybe you should send somebody else instead of me. You know, how would they believe me? And God said, don't worry. My presence will be with you. And Moses is like, well, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe somebody else should go. And God said, well, throw, throw your rod down on the ground. And do you remember what happened when he threw his rod, his staff down on the ground? Yes. It turned into a snake. He said, pick it back up. And it turned back into his shepherd's staff. All right, and then he said, put your hand in your pocket. Pull it out. And his hand was leprous. And he put it back in. So he saw the glory of God, right? He saw the power of God doing these miracles. God said, I will be with you, don't worry. And Moses was like, mm, not sure. Maybe, you know, I'm not really that great and they, maybe they won't believe. What should I say to them if they say, you sure God sent you? I mean, Moses was like hemming and hawing. The presence of God wasn't enough for him, right? And finally he said, God said, fine, I'll send Aaron with you because you don't really trust that my presence is enough. Right, that was Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. He was talking face to face with God and it's still, his presence wasn't enough. But there's a big change in Moses as he's seen God work, as he's seen God's power and presence throughout his life. 
If you look in Exodus chapter 33, um, God says to him, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, so there was a big change from Moses in Exodus 3 and Moses in Exodus 33. In chapter 3, Moses didn't think God's presence was enough. He's like, he wasn't willing to do what God wanted him to do, even if God was going to be with him. He's like, nah, not good enough. But in Exodus 33, he had seen God work so much. He had seen the power of God, the glory of God. He's like, well, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us, God. Because what's the point if your presence isn't with us? How can anyone tell the difference between us and any other people in the whole world if your presence isn't with us, God? Don't send us. So that is how important the presence of God should be to us as well. And when you look at your life today, do you think you're more like Moses in Exodus 3 or Moses in Exodus 33? Do you live in longing expectation of experiencing the presence of God in your life and knowing that as you go to your job, to your school, to your friends' houses, that if God's presence doesn't go with you, that there's no point. Now, now I know that we all have, you know, all of us who believe in Jesus have this right doctrinal understanding that God is with us, right? We believe that, but do we really believe that it's going to make a difference? Do we see God's presence in our lives, changing us, transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus and flowing out of us and having an impact to others? There's this mystery, isn't there? Like, how, how can the creator of the, of the universe be inside of me? I mean, it's kind of a mystery. I don't know. It, you know, it's hard to explain. Kind of like... Um, it's hard to explain the pictures of the sunset in Perth and how beautiful it is. You know, my, my words can't do it justice. You know, those pictures didn't do justice to how beautiful the sunset over the Indian Ocean is. And, you know, it's hard to do justice with words of what it means that God is with us always. But there's this passage I'd like to read in closing. Um, it's from 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul is talking about the fact that there's a glory to the new covenant that the old covenant didn't have, that Jesus bringing grace and the glory of God in a way that Moses and the law, and even though Moses saw the glory of God to the point that his face shone, that he, it, we have something even more glorious than Moses did. Starting in verse 7, um, Paul says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not even look at Moses' face because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? 
Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. And then I want to skip down to um, verse 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So my hope for each of us this Christmas season is that we would know the presence of Jesus with us. That it wouldn't just be kind of this abstract doctrinal truth that we believe in our minds, but that we would really experience the presence and the power and the goodness and the grace of Jesus this Christmas season. So here we I'd like us to take some time now as we have communion for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. This is a time where we remember. Jesus says it's to remember him. And so as we take the bread, before we take it, um, I'd like you to think about and, and remember a time where you've experienced God's goodness or you've experienced his power We've experienced his grace. And if some of you would like, to, if maybe one or two of you would be even bold enough to share with all of us, you know, when is a time recently where you've seen the grace of Jesus or you've seen his presence or you've sensed his grace? It's not, if not, that's okay. Um, but you know, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is for us to remember Jesus. So I want us to Take a moment then just to yourself and, and reflect, you know, before we take uh, the bread, just reflect on, you know, and remember a time recently when Jesus has been good to you or when Jesus has been near to you. Well, let's um, take the bread and eat it together. And Jesus said that the wine, which we use uh, juice to represent, so we have a symbol of a symbol here, kind of. Um, was some, represented his blood, which was shed for us. So that we could know grace upon grace. Jesus died. So as we drink this uh, juice, let's remember that Jesus came so that we could know God's grace. Let's drink this together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are not like Santa Claus. You're not keeping a list of whether we're naughty and nice. And you only come if we do good things, but that you came first. Um, That you came with grace upon grace so that we can know the glory of God, so that we can know your grace and goodness and that we can know your presence with us. And I pray that during this Christmas season that we would live as people who have unveiled glory, who are so filled with your grace that we are so 
we live lives of freedom, we live lives of forgiveness, and that others can see your glory through us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.